Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jim, never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed, oh yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jim, 
for joining another special episode of your welcome mike tyson and roy jones i gotta tell you guys i am not a prude on this i do not want to sound negative against it in fact i'm the opposite i'm excited for this i will be watching they can count on my time my money they can count on me promoting it ahead of time as i am right now and they can count on me recapping it it doesn't mean it's not very interesting for a lot of different reasons okay Back the tape up. We find out that Tyson is going to fight again. Then we find out he's going to fight Roy Jones. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. So we then get revealed to us. And I'm going through the timeline. We, get, we then get revealed to us that there is going to be special rules. Most specifically, the duration of the rounds, which are going to be shortened from three minutes to two minutes. And the number of rounds, which are going to be shortened uh, from 12 rounds or even a 10-round fight down to eight rounds. Great. Get it like that part of it. Somewhere along the way, it gets revealed to us that they will be forced to wear headgear. Somewhere else along the way, it gets called an exhibition, a sparring session, and then comes full circle back to, no, this is going to fight. They're going to be a fight. They are going to fight. Hold that thought and hold that word. Let me continue on. It then comes out that they are not going to wear headgear. And somewhere around a week ago, it comes out that this is not fully going to be sanctioned by the California State Athletic Commission. It's going to be approved by the California State Athletic Commission, which simply means it's taking place in California. The Athletic Commission will be the governing body who has said we're not going to do the full testing and the full rigmarole in exchange. These guys are going to exhibit their boxing skills through a hard sparring session. I liked the way that was phrased because it taught me something. They are going to exhibit their boxing skills. Because I've heard it be called an exhibition. I've never known what in the hell that means. I just haven't known what that means. From a promoter standpoint, sometimes an exhibition, or you would call something an extravaganza, meaning it's a one-time thing. So apparently the word uh, exhibition came from extending the word exhibit. They're going to exhibit some boxing skills. Okay. I am all for this, but what all does this mean? Because there is a promoter, meanwhile, in conjunction with a distribution partner known as Pay-Per-View, who is advertising this as a fight. If they're not fighting, that's fraud. Real simple. That is a class action fraud lawsuit. Real simple. And within the state of California, you have to go by what fight is, by the way they define it, because that's where the fight's taking place. So you can't, get, you can't turn to your Merriam-Webster dictionary and look up the word fight. It doesn't work that way. There is 50 different jurisdictions within this country that all define a fight differently. And in the world of boxing, first and foremost, this must be a contest, which means two guys are trying. They are struggling. And ultimately, there is a winner. We are now told that there will not be a winner. 
but somebody is advertising this as a fight. That is problematic, to say the least. Secondly, if everybody has sat down and agreed, you're not supposed to knock him out. You're not supposed to even try to hurt each other. You're not even going full speed. You are going to exhibit your boxing skills. To encourage you to do that, we're going to make it known to you ahead of time there is no winner. Now, that can be interpreted the way it is intended to be, which logically makes a lot of sense to me. We don't want you guys going out there and fighting. We do not want this full steam ahead. To encourage that and to decentifies you to pull a double cross, there's not going to be a winner. That is how I believe a logical person will look at that, and I believe a logical person put that in place. An illogical person, which is largely what you're dealing with, is going to hear it differently, which is if there's no judges and nobody gets their hand raised, I have to knock this guy out. I'm a competitor. I respect Mike Tyson and everything he did, but this is my one opportunity. i got to knock him out, or i got to make him quit. And Mike's going to hear it the same way, which is the only way that I'm going to have any kind of conclusion to my fans and the audience that I am the victor here. If there is no judges and no round system and nobody getting their hand raised based on a 10-9, I I must knock this guy out. You see where this becomes very problematic, because if everybody just honors their side of it, everybody, commission who says, look, guys, respect you both, I'm going to take you at your word, but I'm only going to take it once. You can double-cross the commission. Sure you can. But then we don't get to do this again. And that's how Andy, that's how Andy Foster is going to look at this. I will take you all at your word as men. I'm one too. Once. You screw me once and this is done. Because let's say that these guys go along the lines of what they're supposed to do. And they go out there and they ex- exhibit boxing skills. We could have something potentially really cool to go on for a meaningful period of time. I'm not against seeing a sparring session with two legends like this. I'm not. I mean, sparring gets to be pretty hard, and the commission's even said it's going to be a hard sparring session. That's how they're going to exhibit their boxing skills. I like it, and I don't know that that has to end anywhere. I mean, there was a lot of pushback when Chuck Liddell came back only because of the way that that match went. But if all of a sudden we're not doing a fight and we're not bringing in the judges, we're going to bring the competitive nature down. We could still go out and see guys that we love to see go and do something that resembles what we're used to in the mixed martial arts, by example. I mean, it sounds as though we could really have a lot of fun here if everybody does what they're supposed to do. You still are left a little bit confused why the athletes are saying they're going to fight. The promoter and the distribution advertising arms are calling it a fight, but the commission itself is saying everybody here has agreed not to fight. You can see where these things don't go hand in hand, so what is the truth? What are we going to see? If Mike and Roy plan to go out there to fight, and this was explained to them in one way, even though it was explained to everybody else in a different way, you have a problem. If you're trying to sell a retail product, and you are, this is for profit. They are doing this purely to bring in money and line their pockets. I'm in. You got my 50 bucks or 39 bucks or whatever the hell this thing costs. Whatever it is, I'm in. Not against it. I'm saying if this thing is going to have longevity and we're going to be able to see this a second and a third time, or a derivative thereof, where we're going to get to see some of these guys that we like to see going out and doing things, Everybody has to be on the same page, and it sounds like we're not. 
I will buy the sparring session. But if Mike and Roy have already agreed to spar, as is now being told to us through a third channel, which is the commission, then they need they need to say that. They cannot just go out and take your money promising you one thing. And the one thing that they have promised and advertised very clearly is the word fight. Which means there is going to be a struggle from a competitive nature that concludes with a victor. And we're now being told that isn't true. That's a problem. So Dana White got asked why Chandler and Ferguson isn't happening. And full respect to whoever asked that question, and I apologize, I could not see you because the press conferences are done differently. I would, I would fully credit you with that and give you a shout out by name. I'm going to have to vaguely credit you for the question because it is, it is an interesting one. I mean, right, we, we had a total reversal here. Chandler wanted to fight Tony. We were told that Tony wasn't interested in the fight. Now, Tony is publicly calling out Chandler. So I don't, I don't know where that reversal came, but good for the reporter for asking the question. Now, Dana had a very interesting answer. He said Chandler made weight. And he's talking about the Khabib uh, Gaethje fight, where Chandler was the reserve fighter, the backup. He said that Chandler made weight. Now, at this same press conference, it came out that they would like Figueredo to have a very fast turnaround and fight as soon as December. So Figueredo, who also made weight, but then went and actually took some punches and shots, is going to recover and turn around quicker than the argument being made for why Chandler cannot. This was very compelling, and I liked it. I liked everything about it. I love that Figueredo looks so good and came out so unscathed and he's going to do a quick turnaround. I love the whole gimmick and aura that that created around Hazmat Chemayev. And if there's anything that we know about 125 pounds, it's that they could use a star. If there's anything that we know about building a star is that it takes time. Why? Is it an actual week, month, year issue? No. It's how infrequently we're allowed to compete. You used to be able to build a star in a day back in the original era of the UFC when it was tournament format. When Hoist Gracie would go out and fight three men in one night, well, now you've just seen an entire year's work based on today's standard of getting three fights in a year. You could get all of that done, all of that rub, all of that attraction, and all of that attention in one night when you had a tournament. So one reason that Chemayev has sprung onto everybody's radar isn't just because of the media or because he's calling himself Khabib 2.0 or because it turned out he was one guy that was as good as he claimed to be. It's also because we get to see a lot of Chemayev in a very short period of time. So in the idea that Figueredo is going to be turned around in a month, not to mention against a very good opponent who he has a personal beef with, I mean, an interesting match, But when you're trying to build a division, that can be very helpful. So I liked that. I also liked Dana's statement on Chandler because I don't feel that enough credit has ever been given to to two things fully. I like the interim champion. I I like that it provides opportunity. I like that it moves the division forward. I like that ultimately you get the interim champion with a belt and the undisputed champion. I just personally like it. But I found myself a little bit alone. A little bit in the minority. I think we need to give more credit to the interim championship. Also, I don't care what word you put or phrase or several words you put in front of champion. I don't. 
I don't care if you're saying it's a state champion, a junior college champion, a world champion, Olympic champion. I don't give a goddamn if it ends in champion. There's something special there, period. Hard stop. I also don't think we've given enough credit and respect to the guy that goes into the backup position. I thought Dana White coming out insane. Chandler just made weight. He gets to re, he gets to restart everything, including a break. He gets a X amount of days to rest and spend doing whatever he wants to, and then goes back into camp. You have to do things that way. Clayton Hires is very big on this. He will tell athletes, after a fight, you need to go get fat. And he'll be serious. I don't want you doing anything. I want you staying up. I want you eating food. I want you enjoying this time. Because when we come back into camp, you're, you're going to sacrifice. But when you get fat in between fights, the word that Clayton would use, but when you get fat in between fights, when you come back into camp, we can also start to monitor the progressions and the ascension of the camp. We can do that through the scale. If you go get fat, you're not going to be able to do the hour workout. You're going to work out for about 40 minutes and be tired. And so we can start to see that build to 45 to 50 to 55 to an hour to a 90-minute workout. We can, your runs and your times and everything starts to increase. So enjoy your rest. I thought it was very respectful that Dana looked at Chandler and everything that he went through, switches organizations, does the whole media tour, has to go to a different continent, get his licensing done, get his paperwork done, do his training, be ready just in case to take on two polar opposite styles. Gaethje's going to stand with him, Khabib's going to take him down. He went and did everything, and so what if he didn't walk out there and take a punch? He still went through camp, he gets a lull, then he has to come back. I thought it was a very respectful statement by Dana. I don't know that you have to start tearing the two apart of, well, how... Does Chandler need X amount of weeks, but Figueredo does I think you're getting a little lost in the weeds. Sometimes you, you pay a little too close of attention. Sometimes Sit back and just enjoy the class. Because Figueredo wants to get in there and he wants to stay busy, and the division needs him to do that, not to mention the top contender who has also been identified is going to do the same kind of turnaround and gets a great opportunity as the year ends. Chandler did a lot of very heavy lifting. And is now being showed a respect of being able to get ready. I don't know where that's going to go. If Chandler doesn't fight Tony, is that to say he's not going to fight Tony next? Which now we're just talking about pushing a date out. We're just talking about coming to terms with a date. Or does that mean Tony goes and fights someone else? And I must tell you guys, I do this thing live. I do this live, and I'm telling you that I do this live, and I don't edit it because my producer, Ryan, is now holding a sign up in the corner that tells me that Tony was booked with Cowboy Oliveira. So hold that thought, Chael. Next. I want to thank one of my new sponsors for supporting this show, and I know a lot of my listeners, especially the hard-headed ones, are going to love them. Do you love peanut butter? Do you love whiskey? then you're going to love Ram's Point Peanut Butter Whiskey. Ram's Point locks horns with smooth peanut butter flavor to create an intense spirit worth fighting for. Enjoy it as a straight shot. Put it on the rocks or as an amazing cocktail. Ram's Point Whiskey is a fun addition to any party or that special night with someone special. They also have recipes that will blow your mind. Let's start with the Rams Point PB&J shot. Imagine you're at a party. The host says, who wants a shot of PB&J? Of course you're going to be in. 
one part Rams Point, one part Grape Liqueur, and you've just created an incredible new version of an old favorite. And you can add other flavored liquors like strawberry, cherry, or wild berry to create your own version. And this one is genius. Imagine putting your favorite peanut butter around the rim of a glass Add a shot of Rams Point peanut butter whiskey, and you've just created magic. Make sure to embrace hard-headed spirit this holiday season with Rams Point peanut butter whiskey. Whether it's getting together with a group of friends, safely of course, or that someone special, or if you're just looking to relax, Rams Point peanut butter whiskey is the way to go. And for the truly hard-headed, check out Rams Peanut Butter Whiskey on Twitter and always hashtag appropriately Rams Point Whiskey hashtag Point Peanut Butter Whiskey hashtag Point Made go check it out now so this Anderson Silva situation is a little bit complicated I mean it's a little bit complicated because it turns philosophical very fast it doesn't really turn into what is your record and what have you done. It, it gets to be a little bit deeper meaning. So Anderson had X amount of fights left on his contract with the UFC. I think it was two, but he, he had X amount, and this, this came out publicly. And Dana came out and said, this is his last fight. He and I have made a deal. This is going to be his last fight. Win or lose, but we have a deal. So, and Anderson agreed. Anderson honored that, and he said after the fight, as you guys saw, let me think about this. I I realize it's my last fight here. I don't dispute that. But I'm not ready to say right now in in this emotional moment as I leave the UFC that I'm leaving the sport. And it was was pretty thought out because most guys are a little bit high on excitement. They're high on adrenaline. And whether it's some crazy call-out, or it's I'm done and I'm never coming back. It's still based around emotion, and they're not totally thinking clear. And Anderson's seen that happen a million times, was able to compose himself and speak clearly, which was to say, I'm, I can't give you an answer. Can't tell you yes or no. I have no answer for you. In fact, I'm going to go home. I speak with my family and speak with my coaches and think about this myself. Well, he's had a little bit of time. He did all of that. And he came out today. And he was talking about, look, I have a deal with the UFC. Deal's a deal. I am done over there. But I am not into this idea of a forced retirement. Quote. So he then was breaking down and assessing himself publicly. And he said, I have not lost the will. I have not lost my ability to be the best. I have not lost my desire to compete. Oh, and by the way, even if I lost that match with Uriah Hall, that was based on a technical mistake, not on a a physical attribute of me being slow. Now I'm starting to paraphrase. He said physical attribute, but I happen to agree with him. His conditioning was on point. Your conditioning can only be on point. You go into the fourth round of a pretty high-paced fight if you're in the gym and training. If you're in the gym and training and keeping up and your cardio is there, you're making weight, you're doing some of these things that signify hard work and dedication, those aren't signs of being old. Those are signs of the opposite thing. I could tell you a personalized stick myself in here, but as I started to come to the end, I wasn't able to finish the workouts. Coach Clay never said anything to me, but I could read it in his eyes. I could not now do the same duration in the workout. That's just a sign of getting older, right? Okay, then I got to go and do something else. 
I bring that to you because Anderson does have some clues pointed in the opposite direction. And when he talks about it was a technical mistake, one thing that we have seen with athletes, and I have seen in the fight with Anderson, is that the chin does go for whatever reason. You just can't take the same shot that you used to be able to take. So when you're seeing that from the outside and you're, you're looking in, what do you do? Do we point to the guy's age, which can tend to hurt feelings, or do we throw that number out and look at other numbers, such as wins and losses in X amount of time, and say, well, nobody else with this win-loss ratio gets to stay under contract with this organization? Do we do that? That way we haven't hurt feelings. But we're also not being as candid as saying there's a responsibility here. We feel that we have it in making the fight, and you were at an age that historically is not very promising. See where it gets a little bit complicated? And then you've also seen guys, and when I talk about the philosophical side, we will tell people from the day they are born, the day they are old enough to understand language, to not let anyone else control their destiny, to pursue your dreams and to never give up. We will tell them that. And then at some point, there's uh, there's this tipping point where we step in and tell them, forget your dreams and forget your goals. Hard work will not get you there. Right, Your whole life you're told, if you're willing to work hard enough at something, anything can be achieved. And then we come in and say, no matter how hard you're willing to work, this can't be achieved. That's where it becomes philosophical, but it doesn't make us wrong. There is a tipping point. There is a time where it's out. Time's up. Every sport, everything in life, time, life itself, time's up at some point. No more. Uh, I look at Evander Holyfield. And Evander was singing this same tune for a period of time. And it was never Evander that walked away. Finally, you had to get the leaders in the room, the promoters themselves, the trainers, the potential opponent, everybody. No, stop. It's enough. He's done enough. He's got enough great memories. He chased the dream and he won. But now it is time to go and do something else. And this comes from a health perspective. As much as a competitive architecture and as much as we're doing a business, as much as people like this guy, it is now, he's got to go do something else. And that's basically how Evander's career ended. I respected everybody involved there, including Evander. I respected the hell that Evander squeezed that as hard as he could, was willing to work, was willing to train, was willing to walk out there and do it. And I respected the people that had authority over him by stepping in and saying, we're not booking any more matches. I didn't think that anybody, I didn't think there was any villain in that story, but that is the story. And I bring that to you because this isn't the first time that this has happened where somebody has wanted to continue doing something, but been told to stop and didn't agree with it. I concede Anderson looked really good. He was winning moments. He was winning rounds. Who the heck can say that at 44 years old with an up-and-comer against Uriah Hall? He was frustrating Uriah. Uriah paid him that respect after it. Uriah was criticized falsely for not being active enough in the fight. Uriah said, man, I didn't see any openings. Anderson did a great job of moving and of controlling range. Those are compliments. There's nothing wrong with Uriah saying that. It took him some time. He figured out the puzzle. He did what he had to do. I just didn't see, okay, this is done. And you will see that. We'll all see it long before the the fighter will see it. We saw it with Matt Hughes, by example, who stayed in there a long time. Fought the hardest fights, and then even when they weren't championship fights, was still fighting the next generation. He was fighting the Josh Koscheck's of the world. 
So they're just going to be hard matches. Once you've slowed down and Josh is red hot, those are just going to be bad matchups. And I parlay this conversation into what we're seeing with Shogun right now. It's very tough. It's also very clear. It's very clear from the outside. And Shogun doesn't feel it inside. He doesn't feel that he's quitting or letting go. But he's not gonna. 20 years from now, Shogun's still going to think, bring on this next generation. They're not as tough as my generation. Even if I've slowed down, I can beat these kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, an adult steps into the room and says, we're done here. It's one of those things. And I don't know that Shogun's there. Shogun in his last five, is uh, there was like a draw in there and two wins and two losses. That's not a terrible record. That's not a terrible record. There was also damage done within those fights, even the ones that he won. That's what we're looking to. I bring that to you because I don't want you guys to view Dana having to step in or Coker having to step in or leadership in any governing but having to step in and stop something. We're also looking at damage, regardless of outcome. Dana was very clear on this prior to Anderson's last fight. Anderson could have won that fight. He's done. He could have knocked out Uriah. Anderson's done. He could have decisioned Uriah. Anderson is done. He could have TKO'd Uriah. He's done. He could have won by disqualification. And he could have lost any of those ways as well. He's done. This is it. So everything has been very consistent, but it comes back to a damage standpoint as well. I think as you start to look at Shogun, you would have to agree he's taking more damage as of late. Win or lie, doing good. Tough son of a bitch. He is taking more damage than you would like to see an athlete taking. And it's not as cold as you might think. The cold stories are for the guy that never did reach his goal. The guy that never had that moment in the sun or got some of those big paychecks, in all fairness. They're, they're, they're doing this to try to set their lives up for the future. Anderson showed these guys did great. They did great. And it turns out they're true competitors that have something within them. That's also something that we will celebrate and respect them for tremendously. Everything here has been very consistent. Everything here has been very above board. I don't know what's going to happen with Shogun. I have a pretty good guess on what's going to happen with Anderson. Anderson has made it very clear that he wants to continue on. And I think that he can. I just think we're going to make need to find something within the rules that don't require you to take damage. I mean, the unified rules are pretty damn specific. This is going to be a, sp- a sport that is going to be judged and based around who did more damage to the other. It's pretty tough rules. But there's other games that you can play. And I only bring that to you because I, I, I do have a little bit of a fear. I'm, I'm seeing something in... in, in other countries right now, we have bare knuckle boxing here in America, but I'm also seeing it happen in other countries. Well, they just bring anybody in, and there's no commissions and sanctionings, and they give a damn. I don't know that I want to see some of our heroes go into that. I could bring Vandalay into the equation, too. Vandalay, who is not competing in mixed martial arts anymore, by rumor, is going to go and compete in bare knuckle. I'm not, I'll go watch it. Just sharing, if you're looking for another sport to do and you're going to alter your skills to the confines of that sport, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to pick a sport that is not based around damage. 
This is your welcome with Chael Sonnen. You own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Now, back to your welcome with Jail Sonnen. John Jones. Let's do a John Jones topic. So, Dana came out at a press conference and he said that John Jones is not officially heavyweight. And Dana clarified what it would take to officially be a heavyweight. It was very simple. Call us and tell us I'm now a heavyweight. Dana said John hasn't done that. John hasn't told him he's a, he's a heavyweight. So, we have one picture that came out of John Jones, I believe on Instagram. If I'm wrong, it was on Twitter, social media. Looks great, looks jacked, and he's lifting a whole bunch of weights. We combine that picture with what he verbally told us, which is, I am going to take six months. I'm going to step away. I'm going to stay in the USADA pool. Don't even question me there, but I'm going to gain some weight. He said, I believe with my DNA that I am going to do better with size than with leanness. Okay, I'm in. I'm in for the experiment. I'm also in for the parody. I'm also in for the questions that, that, that heavyweight would form, even if in the short term, because we don't have those at light heavyweight. John answered them all. He answered all the questions, right? So it seemed like a pretty interesting experiment. But the whole thing is happening for one reason, which is a cash grab. John, on the front side of this entire timeline, said, I am not making enough money. I'm making a bunch of money. I'm making piles of money, but I'm not making enough. Okay. How do we solve that problem? Now, John has a very beautiful contract the way the contract works. He gets participation. He's essentially an own. No, essentially about it. He is an owner in the night specifically that he competes. Nobody gets, that is a gift of all gifts. That, that is something that our sport didn't even have. Boxing had it. Our sport wanted to give more and be more like boxing. And all of a sudden, leadership just started giving guys a piece. Very cool move, but make no mistake. It's the only business on God's earth that you can be given without putting up a piece of capital. Right? I mean, it's a very great thing if you can fall into pay-per-view points and participate on the business of which you invested nothing. It's very great. And it's where John landed. But his number is going to be directly related to how many people wanted to see him fight and nothing else. It will not be based on his success or his achievements. It will be purely on how, same thing as the owner's salary is based on how many people want to tune in and watch this. Okay, great. That should sound very basic. That should make perfect sense to everybody. And that should excite anybody who's involved. It just, for whatever reason, doesn't. It's always a backfire. I need more. Give me more. I have no right to any of this, aside from the fact that the history of the sport, dating back to 2005, says that I do, because somebody at some point was generous and kind enough to bring me in. I have, I have no right to it. But now not only am I going to take it, it's going to be more. So it's, it's just one of these things, right? You're going to get in this car and you're going to crash just based on ideology alone based on the lack of understanding of how this works in conjunction with the lack of appreciation for a gift that you are handed, we're going to fight this out to the bitter end. It's just the way this is going to go. 
Okay, but we still understand one another. John needs more. John has done a terrible job throughout his career of promoting a fight or making a fight interesting, and he is not interested in learning how to do that different. So if John would like to get something different, he's going to have to do something different, of which he is not even interested in observing and studying and doing. So he's now moving to heavyweight, but once again with nobody in mind. We sit over here and discuss and speculate what could happen at heavyweight. Is he going to be a contender? Is he going to draw into other contenders? Like Derek Lewis, for example. Like Curtis Blades, for example. Like Volkov, for example. Or is he going to draw right into a champion? Which is going to be one of two men, Stipe or Ngano. But he has not made it clear. He has never made it clear in the history of his career, and therefore that's why he, as a wild and once-in-a-lifetime talent, is fighting in front of buildings that are not sold out. And your live, your live attendance is, is a very great microcosm of the larger, right? There's never been a pay-per-view record in the history of time where the live arena wasn't sold out. The live arena doesn't sell out. People aren't buying it around the world. I mean, it's just one of these things. So John, who's now talking about going up to heavyweight, is not going after anybody specific and has not made it clear in the storytelling of who, what, when, why, and where, why. Why are we going to heavyweight? He now has one guy who's coming after him but is real, is serious, is not joking, and who has created, at least within the imagination of the people's minds, that he's going to beat him. And that's Adesanya. And that is a once-in-a-lifetime story, at least for John. That story has never been told. Plenty of people have stepped up and shown the courage to go against John Jones. Very few of those people ever thought they were going to beat John Jones. And moreover, the public did not believe that those people were going to beat John Jones. Adesanya is different. So John now has a guy, but he's not pointing any kind of cannon or any kind of fuel on the fire of the one fight that could satisfy the only thing that he has told us he wants, which is more money, which will be directly related the way his contract works for how many people tune in. People are going to tune in for that fight. It could be the first fight ever that John Jones goes into, and he is not a betting favorite within Vegas, just by example, to prove my point that this fight is very rare and very interesting. And it's going to be more rare and more interesting, and that line is going to get tighter should Adesanya become the champion by beating Blahovich. Of which is the time when you would insert John Jones in the first place. So John Jones is somebody you should study if you want to know how to punch and kick somebody. But he's very similar to Sandhagen. He's not the guy that you want to study about the business side because he doesn't know a damn thing about it. He doesn't know which way is up. So it's just one of these tough spots. If you're in charge of John, if you're John Jones's promoter and John Jones comes in and says, I want to make more money, is the promoter going, oh, this is great. Because you've read your contract, right, John? You know how the contract works. So if you make more money, that means there was more money brought in. That means there was more interest. That means everybody's doing better. Great. And good luck. And I hope you do it. Oh, wait a minute. You don't want to actually bring in more money. You just want me to give you more money. You're a fighter who's asking for a handout. Those two don't go hand in hand. Are you going to get up and slug it out or aren't you? You then also fall into a worry for your heroes. 
that they are going to fall into the trap of legacy. And whenever you start to hear an athlete talking about legacy, you start to go, oh boy, this is going to end in drug addiction and alcohol abuse. The same thing that every retired athlete has to look forward to. Particularly when you're trying to hang on to a legacy and particularly when you're in a sport who has a lineage that can tie back to the beginning of time. Before there was a court or a field or a bat or a ball ever created, you had fighting. And it's the day-old question of what is the world's oldest sport? Is it wrestling or is it boxing? But it's one of the two because there was nothing else to play with. Somebody either grabs somebody, boom, then wrestling's the first sport. Or somebody punch somebody, okay, boxing's the oldest sport. But it's one of the two, and we can all agree on that. So when you have a lineage of a sport that goes back to the beginning of time, quite literally, and only one man is revered and remembered through generations in time, and that one man is named Muhammad Ali. But Muhammad Ali is not revered or remembered through generations and throughout time because of his boxing. Had he not been Cassius Clay at one point, had he not had all the political adversities that he went through, the legal adversities overcome and come out on top. Even even Muhammad Ali is not remembered through time. So you want to do things to be remembered in a positive light in a sport that goes back further than any other sport and no man has ever done. And quite frankly, he shouldn't. Sports are a game and games are for kids. What kind of a life goal is that to be remembered for a game? that you played that was designed for kids. I mean, in all fairness, it's just a very weird concept and it's not one that you're going to achieve. Nobody in MMA is going to find the success and or the record that Floyd Mayweather did. Floyd Mayweather has not been on a camera or in front of the media or in a positive light in a meaningful period of time to the point that he's now having to go after one of the Paul brothers in a one-off for boxing. I don't have a problem with that. By the way, I am not insulting him. I am sharing with you one guy ever who did it through combat, Muhammad Ali, has been remembered and thought of in a positive light. But even he did not do it because of the sweet science. That is a mistelling of history. You're never going to achieve what Floyd did because you're never going to be 50-0 in multiple different weight classes. Floyd had his last fight a year ago, and nobody's talking about Floyd. That's not an insult. That's just the way sport works. It's just the way it works. Who's this guy, Vince, that's playing with the Patriots right now? I always want to call him Manny, but it's not Manny. It's the other guy. It's not Manny, and it's not Favre. He's with the Patriots right now. He's a big deal. No, Brett's Favre, and it's not Manny. I'm close. He's married to a supermodel. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady is having so much fun, but he's having fun because he's doing it right now. Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback to ever live, followed by Steve Young, period. You can have your discussion. I just told you who the best quarterbacks are. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember John Elway as beloved as he is? How many of you remember the great Magic Johnson? And how? I mean, in all fairness... It's not going to work that way. It's right here. It's in the here and now. 
spread a big blanket down, throw as much money as you can, fold the blanket up, throw it over your shoulder and walk the hell out. That's what this is. And when I'm watching guys trying to play these games with their careers because these egomanic narcissists, and you have to have a level of ego and you have to have a level of narcissism to do well in a sport, particularly one that is not a team sport. But how many of them that are watching the window close around them that just want one big fight? The big fight's glaring you in the face. It's Izzy Adesanya. There's no way around it. But you're lifting weights and telling your fans that you're going up to heavyweight at an undisclosed time for an undisclosed opponent of which we don't even know who it will be between Stipe and Miocic, and so therefore we have no interest in it. We cannot gain an interest in it. We cannot start a marketing campaign behind it because we don't even know who it is. We don't even know who you want because you haven't told us. You haven't told us for whatever reason. Maybe you think it's unsportsmanship. Maybe you don't know yourself. But the one thing you are telling us is you would like more money, which means you have to have more interest. But you're doing th- same th- you're doing things the same way that you've done it for X amount of time and had the same amount of interest, which is solid. John is not a bad draw. When I talk about the buildings aren't full, they're not empty either. John is a good, steady, solid draw who makes a good, steady, solid amount of money. He's saying he wants more. So if he wants more, we got to be on board, and then we got to tell someone else who tells somebody else. That's what a campaign is. That's what marketing is. That's what promotion is. That's called grassroots. It's called water cooler talk, and it works. But right now, there's no story. There's not even a division that has clarity. If he wants something different, he's going to have to do something different. Tom! <laughs> All right, guys, I'm now joined by an MMA pioneer, a longtime friend of mine, Tom Atencio, who I haven't really ever questioned with some of the things I've always wanted to question him about. Tom, what's happening, pal? <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Sonnen? Uh, you, well, I got to tell you, I've been curious. I've been curious for a decade. I have wanted to ask you questions about affliction, Tom. About, I mean, look, let me tell you my timeline with affliction. All of a sudden, everybody that likes MMA is wearing a T-shirt that says affliction on it. And the next thing I know, affliction is putting on shows that I'm live at. I happen to be a quarter man. I was with Matt Lindlin. They were awesome. And the next thing I know... The shows aren't around. I don't see as many T-shirts anymore. I've just always wanted to ask you, what what happened? If you were to walk me through Affliction, how would you do it? Where would you begin? It was a good run. <laughs> it was short for me. Um, but, I mean, honestly, it, it was incredible. Um, and, I, and I've said it, you know, just recently. I made mistakes. I think um, that's the biggest problem personally is that, and you knew, I mean, you know, first, thank you very much for what you said in the last, um, the, the little cast that you did saying I'm a great guy, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Either. I appreciate that. But I think that was part of the problem is, is that, like you said, I was a fun guy. I, I, I probably drank too much. I probably had too much fun. I did work hard, but I think, um, part of the problem was I just, I, I, I don't know if I didn't take it as serious as I should have, but I I probably didn't. um, I had too much fun. You know, it was something that I was thrown into. And um, I probably, you know, I mean, looking back, it's easy to say I probably partied too much and I should have focused a little bit more um, and being serious than having as much fun as I really did. Um, That's my side. 
Okay, so Tom, but, so, but start from the very beginning with me because Affliction was a t-shirt company. I mean, correct? That's what you got into. I believe you partnered with Tom Todd Beard. I know I'm close on this, but you guys were just going to do t-shirts. Never had a vision of getting into live sport. Am I right about that? A hundred percent. So so here's the deal with that. Um, it, it was a clothing brand, a t-shirt brand. Um, and I know from before, there were a couple things that you did say wrong. Um, Todd was not the lion's share of owner. There were four partners, and Todd brought me in because the other two partners and Todd and I all worked together for years, like five years prior to that. Todd came up with the concept. Todd brought them on board. I actually started fighting. Um, my first fight was at 38 years old. So I fought for Total Combat in Tijuana. And Todd wanted me to work for him. And I came and I started working for him. And, you know, I started thinking, oh, I want to be a fighter. Dumb idea. But anyway, um, I was thinking about going that way. And Todd goes, you know what, Tom, I want you to come and work for me. I want you to help me out. I said, no, no problem. So he started paying me, started doing it. I was training at the time with Marco Huas. And Todd goes, you know what, Tom, after that fight, he goes, I don't want you fighting, Tom. I want you to come and work for me. He made me a ridiculous offer. And I was married at the time and, and I, you know, I spoke with her and we agreed that it would, it would be really dumb. I spoke with Marco too. And Marco was like, Tom, you're 38, man. It's probably not a good idea to get in the fight industry this late. But yeah, so, so I took his offer and what happened was um, because I was in the fight industry already, um, I started sponsoring people and Justin Levins was the first person I started sponsoring. Justin was my best friend. And Justin was fighting for the WEC. He was doing extremely well. He was wearing the stuff and it was starting to get exposure. It was starting to build. It was starting to build. And I was building relationships. I met, I think your manager, Mike, um, back then as well. And Mike started introducing me to people. So it started getting big in the MMA industry. And then Justin fought Evan Tanner at the Honda Center um, in, in UFC. And it was Justin's first fight. Well, what happened was they didn't want us to pay Justin. And I knew because, you know, like you, I, I always knew the industry was going to blow up. And so I paid Justin my own money. I paid him $1,100. That's all he wanted. I didn't think it was a lot of money at the time. And so I paid Justin $1,100, and he walked out in the UFC against Evan Tanner. And the exposure that it got was phenomenal. And the rest of the guys realized that, and they're like, wow, okay. Tom, we want you to handle the sports and entertainment marketing. So that's where my position came. That's where they decided to put me. Because I've always been a T-shirt guy. I've been screen printing since I was 15 years old. Um, T-shirts. I've been involved in T-shirts since I was 15. So the graphic side of it, the art side of it, I've always done. I've always done. And then they got me and they put me in there. Now, Todd was the one who put me in that position. And Todd did, did give me a percentage of the companies. Now, I was always loyal to Todd because Todd gave me that. None of the other guys did. None of the other guys wanted to give me anything. So for me, I was always loyal to Todd. And, you know, being long-winded, that's kind of how we got to the point where we got into the MMA industry. We started out as a motorcycle and tattoo brand. That's how it originally started. Okay. So I didn't know that. So when Todd offers you the job, after you have your fight in Tijuana, and he says, hey, come work with me. That was then in the clothing business. That's what Todd did. He was in the clothing business. This is where Affliction came from. Now you're involved and you start sponsoring other fighters. Do I have the timeline right? Yes, okay. absolutely. So you get on some pretty big guys. I mean, I want to say you were on Chuck Liddell. I want to say I saw Dana wearing Affliction stuff. I, yeah. I know for sure Rampage was red hot, particularly at that time. 
And yep. these guys were bringing in good exposure. And I remember you were more than a dot-com. I could go to stores all the way up to Nordstrom's and see some line of brand of affliction. Yes, absolutely. And so what happened was um, Josh Barnett was one of the first guys I started sponsoring um, after Justin Levins, uh, Scott Smith. Um, and then through Scott, I met Mike. And then Mike introduced me to um, Randy and then Rampage. I met Rampage through other people. So I just, it started snowballing. And I know that you said, and the other thing that, you know, Dana wore it. And Dana, Dana we, I was far bigger before Dana ever started wearing the stuff. Um, I do remember distinctly speaking with Dana uh, on the phone. And um, now I was a fight photographer too. So I used to I used to photograph all of um, in Northern California. Paul Smith, he had an organization. Yep. Um, oh, why can't I think of the name of it? Um, so I used to drive up to Northern California and photograph um, the fights. So I was on the phone with Dana. Dana said, "Yeah, yeah, no problem." I go, "You know, you don't send me your sizes. I'll send you some stuff." He goes, "No problem at all." And one of Dana's things, I remember this. I remember it like yesterday. Dana goes, "What do you want from me?" And I didn't think about it. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't register. And I go, well, I'd love to come and start photographing your events. And I think that rubbed Dana wrong. I think like I learned, everybody always wants something. There's always an angle. Somebody's always trying to, to, to get an angle into you. And that was, I think, to be honest, I think that was what I rubbed Dana wrong because I wanted to come to the UFC fights and start photographing. Now, keep in mind, it was still small at the time, and I would have been able to. It was when SureDog and everybody was always at the events. I was photographing Terry Troublecox events, um, King of the Cage. Yep. IFC, um, IF, IFC was Paul Smith's event up in Northern California. So, I mean, like I said, I've always been involved in the MMA industry, and that's how I ended up bringing that. I used to tap, I used to print tap out shirts in my garage. I used to be good friends with uh, Charles and I started printing their shirts and Charles used to take me to all the smaller underground events in Long Beach and all these other areas. So that's how it ended up in the MMA industry. Okay. So Tom, at some point you're, you're sponsoring uh, athletes, the big name guys. I mean, again, the Chucks, the Randys, the Rampages of the world. Affliction is absolutely everywhere. If I remember it correctly, the UFC at some point pulled your guys' branding sponsorship. Said, okay, Affliction, no more. Guys don't wear Affliction anymore. At which point you guys then go, then we're now going to do it in our own events and start our own live event. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, why did you get pulled? Let's start with that. What happened at the UFC where Dana steps in and goes, no more putting, uh, no more putting your clothing on our guys? So what happened was we, behind closed doors, we talked and Josh Barnett said, you guys should start an MMA company. You guys have everybody as it is. Nobody's happy. You guys should start this. So we talked about it. Nothing more. And when I said, and you brought it up before, there was a mole. Well, it got back to Dana somehow. And that was the same time that we came up with the idea of photographing Randy and um and Fedor, okay. We we talked about that, and that would be a great stunt. They can't fight. We knew they couldn't fight, but we thought about that. When we were talking about it, it got back to Dana. Then we did the poster. The poster went really big. It was really huge, and then we got banned. They said no more. You guys cannot wear affliction in in this company, which is the reason why the first event was called banned. Banned. I remember. So, 
Good marketing, yeah. by the way. Good marketing calling it banned. <laughs> and smart. when you said you you had brought that up, who who threw the first punch or yeah. who who started? We, you know, I can honestly say it was probably us because we talked about it, but we really had no intention of doing it. We talked about it. Josh was talking to us about it. Josh was giving us ideas. You know, Josh, I ended up going to Pride um, with Josh for one of his fights. So, yeah, we started doing it in this, you know, and I was traveling around and I was bringing bigger people on board. I was going everywhere and bringing bigger and bigger and bigger people on board. And, you know, so, yeah, we probably started, but because they had a mole, they had somebody there, they got wind of it. Okay, gotcha. So they step in, they pull the t-shirts, and now, boom, what you were talking about doing, you're now seeing that, well, we kind of have to do this. Am I right? You started out in California, you teamed up with somebody. I seem to remember Oscar De La Hoya even at a press conference. I remember President Trump being at the weigh-ins. So, I mean, once you guys started, though, Tom, I mean, in all fairness to you, you guys went all in, and you had some pretty good momentum. Oh, we went went deep. I mean, and and one of the things, like you spoke about, the pain, though, and, and, and you and I talked about this before, the payments of these guys were ridiculous. And and I get it. Like I said, hindsight's 2020. Um, you know, when you're when you're taking care of your family and you're trying to get all you want, that's what you look at. You don't see the big picture. Most people don't see the big picture in, OK, let's work with this organization. And because we've seen all these other organizations go under, maybe we should work with this organization and not take as much and try to make them work. It didn't work that way. You know, and, and I and I talked about this, too. Um, there were some managers that just took complete advantage of Todd. And, and I get it. You know, I mean, it's it's their job. And as a manager, if, if that's what I had, that's what I would want, too. But they did. And, and and I've always said it, too, in interviews. It wasn't me. I knew that I knew that Tim Sylvia, his biggest payday prior to us was only fourteen thousand dollars. He made fourteen thousand dollars to fight and win. That was seven to fight, seven to win. And when Todd paid him, I was telling him, no, man, it's too much, too much, too much. He wanted what he wanted, and he just he paid him. So that was one of the biggest issues. Okay, I remember that. I want to say Tim. I mean, because that, you know that was public, but I want to say Tim was paid seven hundred grand, or it was eight hundred grand. It was it was it was a huge payday. Am I right? Oh my! Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was, right. I think, and Fedor, I Fedor get the choke. I mean, I remember it very clearly. It was like a lifetime ago, Tom. And I also feel like I watched it yesterday. It was one of these things. Great events. I remember being at those live and the energy and the momentum you guys had. I remember the first one was like a two million dollar gate, and uh, I just remember everything was going so well, Tom. One day. I was in the state of Washington, cornering a buddy named Joel for for a little regional show fight, and I get a press release. It comes across my smartphone, and it was supposed to be Fedor versus Barnett. Barnett gets pulled from it through the commission, and and you guys said we're done. We're not we're not rebounding. We're done. I, what was that decision like, and what was that day like? And by the way, why didn't we get a replacement for Barnett? Why why was that so meaningful that Josh had to be there? So so here's the deal to answer that question. Um, what I said and what you said didn't revisionist history or whatever, that's what I was told. Whether it was true or not, I was scrambling. So I got I got the phone call, I believe, from Josh or his girlfriend, and they told me, or somebody told me, I don't remember exactly. Somebody called me and I'm freaking out. I'm scrambling. I'm trying to get a fighter. I'm on the phone with managers. I'm on the phone talking to everybody and anybody. And I remember I wasn't at the office at the time. I was out. 
Um, and I'm talking to Vitor Belfort himself. I'm talking to his manager. I'm trying to get all these guys. And everybody's willing to do it. It was just about negotiations. During that time, we had in-house counsel. Our, our lawyer at the time was talking to pay-per-view, and he was talking to the UFC. The reason he called the UFC is because we kind of felt like, or they kind of felt, I wasn't involved in it. So they kind of felt like maybe we should just give up and just do a deal with the UFC before we defunct, before we go under. I was told because the posters did not have card subject change, um, that pay-per-view stood the chance, which mean us, stood the chance of being sued by anybody and anyone who ever wanted to, whoever purchased it and wanted to. Whether that's true or not, and whether that was real, that's what I was being told sure. at the time. And like I said, that's why I brought that up. That's what I was told. I don't know if it was true because I'm scrambling. I'm trying to get fighters, and that's what happened. So they called UFC. They, the in-house counsel called UFC, talked to pay-per-view, and that was the decision that they came up because we were new to the industry. We didn't know We didn't know how to handle this. I thought we could just get somebody else and just replace it and do it. Again, so that's what I took as true. I never looked into it. I never, I never thought twice about it because I thought it was the way it was. So, Tom, when you say that in-house cancel called the UFC, for what? Did, did you guys end up selling to the UFC or the? What did the UFC have to do with the closure of Affliction? I don't remember that part. Because it's my understanding, and again, I don't know exactly. It's it's my understanding that the UFC purchased the the video, so any of the content they own. And um, it was to also, I know this for a fact, it was also to do a deal with them that we could start sponsoring again. Because remember, right after that, we started sponsoring again. So that was the deal. So we didn't lose everything. We ended up making a deal with the UFC to have the rights of all of our footage and then to um, be able to start sponsoring at a fee. And I think that may have been, I'm not sure, but that's why, remember, the UFC started uh, charging the clothing companies and everything else. They started charging money from the clothing companies for them. And then you had to pay the fighter, but you had to be approved first to the UFC. And then you had to pay the fighter. If you weren't approved, if you weren't paying the UFC, the money and, and approved by them, you could never sponsor anybody. Right. I recall that. Well, I, I recall when that happened. And that was, that sent shockwaves. Through. I mean, in all fairness, that's just kind of the way things are now. But I remember at that time, that being a big ruffle. I mean, even the fighters were upset. It kind of changed the management structure for some guys that opened opportunities, for some guys that closed doors. I I did forget that, though, what you said. I forgot that when you guys did that deal with them, that it then opened up the marketing arm again. Look, were you happier when you got there? I mean, it sounds like you got back to where you wanted to be anyway, which was, I mean, did you ever want to be in the live sport business, or was that something you were forced to do? Tough question, right? Tough question. Well, yeah. Well, because I'm looking at it from my my um, my point of view. For me, it was a dream come true. And I always said that. In interviews, I would say, this is a dream come true. I've got the best of both worlds. I've always been in the garment industry since I was 15, and I've always loved the fight industry. I remember growing up watching with my dad, Hagler versus Hearns, um, you know, uh, the Oscar De La Hoya fighting, um, all these guys boxing, you know, um, uh, all the Mexican fighters. I grew up watching combat sports. I've always loved combat sports. So for me, being in the industry, it was a dream come true. I was at the forefront. I was doing matchmaking. I was handling the events. It was a dream come true. 
So for me, yeah, I look back and I wish I was still doing that. I mean, I couldn't imagine still being in that in that um, spotlight and living that life that I was living. But at the same time, like I said, I had too much fun. I I should have stuck back or I wish somebody would would have taken me aside and said, Tom, you need to take this a little bit more serious. But that's on me, you know. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it was a dream come true for me. My inspiration was pride. I don't know if you remember, and you spoke about this too, the Dirt Bag, uh, Dirt Bag Band or Dirt Band, whatever you called it, that was Megadeth. So it wasn't, it wasn't Metallica, it was Megadeth. And you were absolutely right about that. Using them was kind of a waste for a couple of reasons. Number one, the money that we spent on it. Number two, it doesn't really translate, in my opinion, it doesn't really translate on TV as well. Watching a band on TV to me is not, not it's just not that great. And like you said, a halftime intermission with a band, if you don't like that band or you're not, you can't relate to it, it doesn't do well. So for me, yeah, I agree with you. The band wasn't a good thing. But I don't know if you remember the, um, from Pride, I brought all the fighters out on stage and they all stood before the first event. And that was definitely from Pride. There was a lot of things that I loved about Pride. And, but not to take anything away, the UFC, in my opinion, they have always done it right. You go to UFC event and it's always from the, the minute you get there to the end, it's, it's just charged. It's going all the time and it doesn't get boring. I've been to other events where it's just boring. Pride, as a matter of fact, you go to pride, you're tired by the end of the, by the, by the main event, you're, you're like over it because there's no electricity. There's nothing to keep you awake and keep you going in that. And to me, um, that was the biggest thing is, is that's what I wanted to bring to the event is that, that action, wanting to go into an event, going to one event and then wanting to go back, wanting to keep going, wanting to keep going. And to me, the UFC does that. This is your welcome with Jail Sonnen. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, do you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free. No subscription. No fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're going to binge shows. You're going to be up to speed on the latest news. You're going to catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Now back to your welcome with Jail Sonnen. Sure. And Tom, you know, fight promotion is one of these things like... You can't learn it or be taught it. You have to take the risk and jump in it. There's there's no book in any library in the world that you can check out that'll teach you fight promotion. There's no college course anywhere in the lands uh, where you can get a degree in fight promotion. You got to get in and start learning. So being through everything you've been through, and you're seeing these guys pop up all the time, and for the most part, they're losing a lot of money. If you could give one one piece of advice to an aspiring promoter, what would you tell him? <laughs> What, what would you tell him? Look out for this. Make sure that you manage your money correctly. Make sure that whatever you're putting into it, you either break even 
or you have enough money that if you don't break even, you get close to breaking even, and you have enough to sustain you in any business, really. You have enough to sustain you to the next one and then the next one. And, um, you know, I mean, and like I said, you know, it's easy for me now. Take things more serious. Don't, don't, the fun side Every once in a while, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't be a stickler all the time. But you know, I mean, if you're going to jump into something, take it serious. And and, and unfortunately for me, I didn't. Um, I mean, I did, but it, but at the same time, I was having a lot of fun. And you know that you you've seen you had seen me multiple times. I think I remember the last time I saw you, I was hammered out of my mind, and we were walking. And I think you didn't even want to ha- have anything to do with me. I think you were just like, "Whoa, dude, just stay away." And I get it. And I was like that a lot. I had fun, you know. <laughs> well, hey, life's short. You got you got to have a little bit of fun. But okay, yeah. so so uh, that's revisionist history. Bring me up to speed now. I believe Todd Beard rest is. I believe Todd's even passed away. Yeah, Todd. Todd passed away, and um, I, oh God, when was it? Fourteen? Yeah, it was two thousand fourteen. I was trying to think of the date because unfortunately, my little sister passed away the next day. Oh, um, very sorry. Very sorry. What was Ashley? February, no. Anyway, so yeah, Todd passed away of a massive heart attack. Um, is from what I was told. His girlfriend, they were both upstairs. She had to go. She went downstairs for to do something like an hour or something. She walked back up and he was on the ground and and he was gone. He had a massive coronary. Oh, very sad. And and so and so affliction though. I mean, was Todd still steering the ships of it? And it had it sold off. Where does affliction stand today? The brand. No, so as uh, as the brand goes, the other three partners um, they got rid of Todd in 2011, and subsequently me because my loyalties were always to Todd. Um, like I said, he's the one who put me in the place that I was. He's the one who gave me percentages. Um, Todd, everything I always say, Todd, what everything I had, it was because of Todd, and so I was always loyal to him. And so they got rid of um, him in 2011. And then me, and then I sold my shares, and um, uh, you know, I mean, I just I couldn't care less. It's the past. So, I got you. I got you. All right. Well, then let, let's talk real stuff because I've invited you on. I have a secret. It's your secret. You told me, and I told nobody. <laughs> I kept my mouth shut. But you have been recognized with what I view as a tremendous honor. I'd like to leave it at that. But can you take it from here? What is going on in your life? Absolutely. And, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing that. Um, out of the blue, I got an email from a gentleman and said, um, I'm interested in working with you. Would you please call me in Thailand? And the first thing I thought was a phishing email. I'm like, cause I get, I get them all the time, you know, oh, your aunt died and you, uh, you get a million dollars, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm like really skeptical of it. So I email him back just thinking, okay, maybe I'll have a little bit of fun. And he emails me again, and I got your um, website and blog from your Facebook or Facebook friends. And so I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm like, honey, maybe this is serious, legitimate. I don't know. I got the honor of Fairtex Equipment. They asked to do a collaboration with me, Tomatencio Designs, gloves, shin pads, shorts, uh, T-shirts, et cetera, whatever. And as you can see in the background, uh, I finalized the contract. I'm doing a deal with them. I just designed two pairs of gloves and two T-shirts. They'll be available next month. 
and the gentleman's Leo Katimbach, which he is the VP of Business Development for Fairtex Thailand. And as you may know, they kind of uh, went on a downturn um, after, um, I know a couple of years ago, um, after their um, San Francisco uh, place shut down and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was so honored and, and I, I was blown away. So as you can see, I mean, I've got all the equipment now. Um, you can see, I mean, look at these gloves, Chael. This is this is kind of the direction they're going now, and and this is what I've That's done. Beautiful. Is I, these aren't mine. This is another artist, but um, they're I mean they're beautiful, and these are eight ounce. These are for my son, but they're also doing. Um, they did one championships, so All they right. did a deal with one. They did a deal with uh, DHL, um, and now they're making um, a Mexican style boxing glove. Whereas you can see it's longer on the wrist more Mexican style. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor and I, I, I can't even believe. And, and, you know, it's kind of like it, they're pulling me back in the industry and, and I love it. Um, I'm looking forward to going to Thailand and, and meeting the owner. And aside from that, in the back, you can see another brand. It's called Gas and Grit, and that's my brand. It's a motorcycle brand. It's, it's based in a vintage um, motorcycle theme. And that's going to be released probably around December as well, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But I'm going to say December to just be safe. Um, so that's that's what I got going on. Oh, Tom, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I really do. I, I mean, I look at that as a tremendous honor. I couldn't imagine somebody like Fairtex who has been around forever. I mean, they're a staple. I could walk into my garage right now. I've got Fairtex in my garage, right? I mean, congratulations, buddy. Good, good for you on all that. Tell me this as a fight fan. And I assume that your career is living on the same as mine, which is that of a fan. What are you most looking forward to? Is there any match that's been announced that you're going, man, I can't wait till that comes around? Oh, gosh, last night. I mean, um, no, I can't think of her name. The two sisters that fought last night. Sure. Um, the bullet. Uh, yeah, man, she she's such a phenomenal fighter. I mean, does it really get much better than her? No. Um, I was looking. I was looking forward to that fight. Um, right now, you know, there's, there's so many new kids coming out and they are so phenomenal and they're so well-rounded. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I I don't have a particular fight right now that I'm looking forward to, but, um, I'm still, I'm a huge UFC fan. Um, I hate giving Dana my money, but, um, (laughs) you know, do I really have a choice if I want to watch the fights? Um, uh, but honestly, that, that's, that's, I'm just a huge fan. I'm always going to be till I die. I'm always going to be a hot fan. So let's back up a second. Then let's talk a little bit bullet real fast, because one thing, one thing about that fight, Tom, if you watch that thing on mute, you would think this is like any other, uh, Valentin Sinchenko fight I've ever seen. If you watched it with the volume on, it appeared, I mean, the announcers did make that fight seem like it was a little closer and a little bit more competitive than it was. I mean, at the end of the day, it was four rounds to one it's generally 5-0 but I as far as her being dominant and maintaining her dominance I think everything's in order yeah I mean I agree and and that's part of I mean eventually she's going to lose I mean if nobody stays at the top and 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 I think that is one of the things I love about this sport and and it's not necessarily age it's not necessarily um you know you could just you know you could have a bad day or you could just possibly get caught by something. It's just, that's the beauty of this sport that you just never know. 
I mean, look at uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Sure. Uh, you know, he was on a tear a while back. He had a, uh, a while where he wasn't doing well, and now look at him again. And he, he, to me, he's an exceptional fighter. He's got, he's, he's a, he, he is a champion in his mind. And, you know, he's got that champion, champion's mind. So, I mean, I, I love watching him fight. Uh, you know, when he fought Paul Felder the other night, he just, he looked phenomenal. Um, so that, to me, that's one of the things about, it's not a one dimensional sport where you see like boxing, although I love boxing and, um, you know, like I said, I grew up, it's not a one dimensional sport. There's so many ways that you can lose. And there's so many ways that, that, um, you know, even, even unfortunately, if it goes to a decision, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what a judge is going to, is going to see. All right, Tom, buy or sell Khabib Nurmagomedov never fights again. I don't buy it. So, yeah, I don't. I, 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 th- I think he's going to fight. And, and um, my own, and this is from me. I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't know his family. I just don't know why he would quit fighting after his father died. I mean, I understand. I, I understand loss. But I mean, to me, from my perspective, it would seem that his father groomed him for this his father raised him to fight so why would his father want him to stop fighting that to me i don't understand so i think i think after grieving a grieving period and after time i think he's going to come back and and fight again in his father's honor i mean i I, but that's me i I have no idea if that's true or not none and see tom i'm in the same spot you're left to guess with very limited information most guys would fight for one of two reasons uh Fame. Eh, Khabib's not into it. For whatever reason, he's just not into that drug. Money. Eh, he's not into it. For whatever reason, that just doesn't motivate him. And then you're only left with one third option, which is accomplishment, but the guy's achieved everything. So, I mean, it is one of those things. It's one of those things where you go, okay, if I put, him, if I put myself in his shoes, what would I do? But it's hard to put myself in his shoes. I've never been that successful at anything. 29-0, and 0, world championship. I mean, it's one of those things. It's a very unique play. It's crazy, isn't it? It's it's just crazy. And that's why I think that. I mean, I think that, you know, and it's easy for me to say, again, I, I, I'm not in his shoes and I, I've lost. I've lost a brother. I've lost a little sister, a uh, cousin that was like a little sister. I, Justin Levins, you know, he was my closest friend at the time when he passed away. I've lost a lot of people in my life, my father, etc. So I do understand that side of it, the grieving and and but but I think, you know, when you when you take it as a whole, his father was a part of his whole career. His father was there cheering him. So, you know, again, from my perspective, I would think he would come back to honor his father. But sure. that's just Yeah, let's see what happens. All right, Tom, you got anything else you want to get off your chest? You know, another thing that's bringing me back in the industry, I've been talking to a buddy of mine, Dean Lamb, uh, with North Star Combat in Minnesota. Um, he wants me to come out and help him. And um, when they when they start again, Stefan Bonner's involved and another Cyrus Fees is also yeah. involved. And so um, they want me to come out and, and uh, commentate, which I will um, obviously in 2021. And there's a possibility that we may do something together in that as well. So if that happens, um, I definitely am looking forward to it. Dean's a really good guy. Um, and hopefully, you know, North Star uh, will continue to grow. And, and, and I'm part of that as well. Well, that's awesome. Tom, great catching up with you. Congrats on all your successes, man. You deserve it. You've worked hard. I look forward to getting myself a pair of those gloves. That's what I was going to tell you. Um, So what I'll do for you and actually your uh, viewers 
if you want, however you want to handle it, I'll send you a couple of pairs of gloves. Um, obviously, a pair for you, a one of each for you, T-shirts, whatever you want, Chael. But if you want to do a giveaway, um, however you want to handle it, it's up to you guys. We'll do some giveaways for Fairtex and help promote Fairtex. And so people can really see the quality. I mean, you know, the, the, the quality of their brand is just second to none. And I'm like, like you said, I'm very honored. And I'm just I'm blown away that I'm, I'm a part of it. So I'd love to get some to you. And we can do some T-shirts and some gloves. And you can do a giveaway however you want to handle that super cool i appreciate that i will take you up on that we will do it through social media and tom enjoy your day thank you for the time buddy <laughs> thanks Joe. always great to see you bud. all right you guys tom atencio and i think we got some clarity there i mean there has been many things i have had to speculate through guessing and attempting to connect the dots as it had to do with affliction I mean, it was a it was a flash in the pan. Boom! It was here. It was setting the world's on fire. Boom! It was gone. And I think that Tom really helped us. If any of you have been like me, if any of you have been curious or wanted some clarity, we just heard it from the man himself. All right, guys. Long day. Looks like a good place to call it. But we'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hello, everyone. This is Eagles Hall of Fame quarterback Ron Jaworski, and I am so excited to bring you the hottest new podcast for the NFL and gaming. Welcome to Jaws Picks, featuring me, Ron Ron Jaworski, Jaworski, and some of the most famous names in sports, music, and entertainment, as I give you my expert analysis and predictions of each and every NFL game. (coughs) So far this season, my predictions are over 55% correct against against the spread. spread. That's a pretty good number, folks. And over 67% picking winners straight Straight up. up. You do not want to miss out on this podcast every week. I will tell you who, how, and why each NFL game will be decided. (coughs) Take the guesswork and stress out of gaming and subscribe to Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcasts. That's Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe, take care, and let's make some beer money. Look out! Join me every week. For the Michael Irvin Podcast. The Michael Irvin Podcast. The MIP. Now the MIP exists. The MIP. Okay, I got to make sure you got something to show. What? Where's Michael? He's holding out. What do you mean he's holding out? <laughs> hey, it's the Playmaker. I ain't available right now. I said the Playmaker's not available for you. I will give you my Playmaker of the Week. Take the spotlight sometimes off of all these quarterbacks and put the spotlight on some of those guys that make the quarterbacks. T-I-R-E, put it together. T-I-R-E-D. I get tired. Best That's love. That's my girl, but I love right there, What's baby. That? Yeah, yeah. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. That's the Michael Irvin Podcast. I am the playmaker, Michael Irvin.